Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting startup founders share their stories and strategies. They also deliver tangible lessons learned along the way that you can apply to your own startup. Each episode is a true masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. Welcome to an encore presentation of Rising Tide Startups, where I've, I reached back at the end of 2022 here, and I've, I've asked some of my favorite guests to, to have, make a reappearance. It's been a couple of years, I think, since Mark was on, but my guest today is Mark Podolsky, aka The Land Geek. So Mark, thanks again for joining us on Rising Tide. Kevin Pruitt, it's great to see you again, brother. It's good Thank to you. see you. Good to see you. I'd I, uh, you know, just, just that, that initial intro right there, just will give you some, uh, semblance of understanding of why I would want to have Mark back on because it was so much fun the, the first time we chatted, but Mark, just for those that, that don't know, or may not have listened to the first episode, give us kind of a quick bio of, of Mark Podolsky. Sure. So in 2000, I was a miserable micromanaged 45 minute commute to work and back investment banker, specializing in mergers and acquisitions with private equity groups. And Kevin, it got so bad for me. I didn't get the Sunday blues anticipating Monday coming around. I get the Friday blues anticipating the weekend going by really fast and having to be back at work on Monday. That's like double the Sunday blues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So my firm hires this guy and as a side hustle, he's buying up raw land, pennies on the dollar at tax deed auctions. And he's flipping them online. And he's making a 300% return on his investment. And I'm looking at companies all day long. And a great company has 15% EBITDA margins or free cash flow. Yep. Average is 10%. I'm looking at companies all day long, less than 10%. So I don't believe him. So I go to New Mexico with him. I got three grand, saved up for car repairs. I do exactly what he tells me to do. I buy 10 half acre parcels and average price of $300 each. I flip them online and they all make an average price of $1,200 each. It worked 300%. So I took all that money. I went to another auction where I live in Arizona. Again, there's no one in the rooms, 2000. I'm buying lots and acreage for nothing. And I made over $90,000 cash. So I go to- In what period of time? Uh, it In about three months, I think. Wow. And so I go to my wife, she's pregnant. I said, honey, I'm gonna quit my job. We're in I'm a full-time land investor. She's like, absolutely not. So it took about 18 months. I'm fully supportive of you staying where you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so uh, it took 18 months for the land investing to exceed the investment banking income. And then I quit and I've been doing land investing full-time ever since. And uh, I've done over 6,000 transactions. And now what I love to do, and my purpose is to help people get out of what I call solo economic dependency, which means they're personally not working, they're not making any money. So how can I help people solve their money and time problems? Mm. And it's such a, a, I mean, obviously it's broad geographically, but such a narrowly focused niche, you know, it, it's not like commercial residential, it is raw land. I mean, that that is your... I mean, have you strayed from that at any time in, in your land geekdom time? You know, I'm an inch wide and a mile deep. And there was one time, I want to say in 2006, I flipped a house and I made a hundred grand at the top of the market. And uh, when I looked at my time and how many times I had to go to the house and meet the subcontractors, <laughs> water plants, this and that, I'm like, 
this isn't a good deal. <laughs> and that was it. So I had to do it. It yep. worked out financially, but not time-wise. So, you know, I, I have a very, I'm very morbid. I'm always thinking about my death and, uh, and how precious life is and how short our time is. So, which actually makes me think, you know, I mean, it's a weird thing. It's, it's morbid, but like, I actually feel better. Well, because I mean, it's something that you, you certainly consider. I mean, it's, it is not, you know, you're just not kind of a hamster wheel, you know, mentality where you just have this dull, dull race to death, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it kind of gets, you know, cuts through all the BS in life too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so, and then you can reverse it. I like, you know, reversing it. I think, well, it's, you know, if it's, if it's my last day on earth and I don't know what it's going to be, what if it's this person's last day on earth and you mm -hmm. treat everybody a little bit more, you know, kindly, you're a little bit more patient with them. Yeah. Um, not with you, Kevin, personally, but <laughs> anyone else. In I general. That's, that's in general. general. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So let's let's go back to, so what year was this that you took your trip to New Mexico? 2000. So 2000. Okay, let's, so paint that day. So you're on, on I guess you're driving, because I think you lived out, like maybe Colorado. Or well, no, I, I was in Phoenix. Yeah, I drove okay. up there. So you drive across I-40 or whatever you're on, and so... You you stop and you sit down with this individual and you go, okay, tell me how you do this. And he says, okay, here's the 10-step process. And you think, so let me get this straight. I'm buying swampland in Arizona off eBay, and I am going to then cut it up in pieces. How how am I even going to parcel this out legally being an absentee owner? And then somehow the deeds all match up and the, or the plots of land all match up and they, they, you know, they withstand public scrutiny or, or, you know, legal scrutiny. And I'm going to sell them. People are actually going to be looking on eBay or wherever it is for land and they're going to buy it. Was yeah. there a little skepticism? You know, you think there would have been, <laughs> I, I, and, you know, coming from my background, which is investment banking, uh, I did walk through the entire model. I'm like, well, what's the worst case scenario here? And the worst case scenario was I owned raw land. I couldn't yep. sell it. Yeah, you got three thousand dollars worth of stuff you can't sell. I yeah. got three thousand dollars of stuff I can't sell, which isn't that big a deal. But mm -hmm. the bigger deal to me was my wife. Like, she's not going to walk in the garage. You'd be like, what is all this three thousand dollars worth of crap? Mm. Right? It's just piece of paper. So there's nothing physical I had to maintain. Yep. There's nothing to protect. And it just seems so simple to me. I thought, well, worst case, I, I could go to my dentist and barter. Maybe they'll want a half acre parcel in the desert or, you know, something like that. I've got a deal for you. This root canal that I'm going to have. I've yeah. got some land. <laughs> yeah. I started actually writing out all the services of people. I'm like, okay, my barber, my dentist, <laughs> my doctor. I mean, barber kind of washes, his barter. You know, I like, I was like, I was even thinking like my landscaper, like all these people <laughs> in my life I could barter with and I can't sell the land. But, you know, I also had seen, you know, my buddy wasn't any different than me. So I'm like, well, if he can do it, why can't I do it? And that's was sort of like my, my naivete going in, which was kind of served me. And, um, you know, I, as far as like the legalities of it, I mean, 
I had done a little bit of research on that. Like it's, it's a deed or you're transferring ownership. Yep. There's, you know, what kind of deed are you using? Like, oh, a special warranty deed. So there's three types of deeds. There's a warranty deed, which is the best type of deed. It says from the, your warrant from the very beginning of time that there's been no liens or encumbrances right. or any cloud on title breaks the chain of title. But then there's something called a special warranty deed, which means that if you're buying at a tax deed auction, all you're warranting is like during the time of your ownership, you haven't clouded the title. So I would deed to special warranty deeds. And then there's a quick claim deed, which is a terrible deed. It's usually among family members. It's just, you don't warrant anything. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, at that time, you could just kind of do a little bit of research and, and it was, it was great. And uh, from there, I thought, well, I want, I don't want properties that are at auction. I don't want to compete. How do I get them before they go to auction? And that's when I started creating the letter writing system and contacting the owners before they would go to auction and it's creating the systems, the processes to automate this and at 90% automated through software, inexpensive virtual assistants and software on the back end. So the process, and I, I don't want to just rehash what we talked about the first, first episode, but, but uh, just really quickly kind of lay the groundwork. The process is, do you, I, do you pre-identify where you want to target? Do you say, okay, here is the Northwest corner of Colorado that has, you know, there's a lot of just open land. It's not public land, it's private land, it's, but it's unimproved. It's, you know, um, and so I'm just going to go county by county and start looking at records and start kind of making my way through ownership and start contacting people. Or is that, is this a little more refined than that? It's a little more refined than that. So are you, do you ever go fishing? Yeah. Okay, so imagine you're out fishing and you see there's 10 boats out on the lake and they're all like on this one little cove and they're all catching fish. And then you're like, oh, wait, there's uh, this other bank and there's only two boats out there and they're not catching any fish. And you think, well, where should I go? Right? What would you do? Where would you go? Yeah, you go to the bank where everybody's fishing. Where everybody's or fishing. Everybody's catching. Not where everybody's fishing catching the fish. Tried. So that's what I do. I look online and I say, well, where's everybody catching fish? Where's the market? And I just start mailing there. So there's what, platforms that, that like landmoto.com and landandfarm.com, landsofamerica.com. Start there. That that almost seems counterintuitive. It almost it seems is like counterintuitive. You, you think, oh, I don't be... want to go competition. Yeah. There's no competition. It's a huge market. So that, that was my next question. See, here you go answering my questions before I ask them now. So my next question relates to like 2000, I mean, 2000, 22 years ago. And so it was a, in my mind, real estate investing, that type of thing was a completely different ballgame than it is today. You know, you, you have many more corporate, you know, purchases of land, houses, commercial than you did 22 years ago. Even private equity funds are buying up, you know, Bill Gates is buying up large swaths of farmland, you know, now. So right. have you seen like, is there less to buy now? Is there more competition when you go to buy? Or is this just such a big place that we haven't even dented this yet? It's so big. We haven't even dented it. I mean, you know, there's billionaires buying productive farmland. That's not what I buy. You want to make 8%, you got a billion dollars. Farmland's great. 
It really is. But for the rest of us, like we're making 300 to a thousand percent in this inefficient market. Yeah. So hedge funds, private equity groups, that's, they have too much money. They're not going to buy a $5,000 parcel. They need to buy a $5 million parcel. Right. Ideally they want to buy a $5 billion, you know, parcel. So it's too small for them. And it's such a, I mean, there's billions of acres of land available and you couldn't think of a more boring niche. I mean, really, you literally, I mean, you can't go to HGTV or the it's DIY network. It wouldn't take long. This land, the <laughs> before pictures, the raw land, the after pictures, yeah. raw land. So it's just yeah. boring. How does the, the like, tiny house get off grid movement, has that, have you seen any impact at all with, with those like I would think that a lot of land you're looking at is highly unrestricted, you know, like highly unrestricted. I think very few restrictions. I think what we're going to do is actually test some tiny homes on our land mm. and see in order to finance it and see how that goes. My bet is that it will go well, mm -hmm. but until you do it, you don't know. But yeah. up until now, I mean, now I have to go on rising tide, you know, podcast to do it but you're shaming me but i you know that is on the roadmap as far as testing a new market and see how that market would respond to you know a land home package that right. we could finance in certain areas right in some in some areas it's not going to be appropriate but yep. in more you know rural areas that you know have maybe a lake nearby Mm. Um, or a lakefront uh, and are near a nicer town, mm -hmm. then I think it would be appropriate. But, you know, some of the land that's two hours from the nearest city, yeah, I, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. I mean, at some level, I mean, there's, there's one thing you have to solve. I mean, there's actually, there's two, you have to get, somehow you have to get water there. And the second thing you got to do is you got to get Wi-Fi there because the, the people that are, that are wanting to move off grid still want to have their MacBook. <laughs> their their iphone so somehow you gotta you gotta arrive at at uh, getting some kind of signal out there but no I, unless I, you I unless you market to the over. amish that's and maybe exactly. that would be my niche that's right. That's right. you know yeah exactly. are you a technophobe but see they, they just want they just want the uh they want farmland you know they, they don't want to live on a side of a cliff so that's that's yeah. true that, that is indeed but so have you seen any any change in the last you know, let's from the time we talked probably pre-COVID till now, have you seen um has there been an increase, I guess, in people interested in this? I mean, now you also have kind of a course that goes along with this as well, that you have some kind of offering that you have a you build a community of what type and teach others how to do this. But have you seen an uptick in that based on you know, people being home more, having a little more access to the internet, figuring out how, what's a side gig I can do. How do I transition out of my job? Because they're going to tell me to go back in the office five days a week. And I don't want to do that. You know, what, what are you seeing in the last couple of years, not specifically in the market, but like even around your market? Yeah. So for land geek, like the training company, 2020 was our best year. And it's kind of weird to say, considering that so many people were suffering mm. and I, I personally wasn't, um, you know, from a business standpoint, maybe from a mental health standpoint, yeah, for sure, but not from a business standpoint, but 2021 was not as good as 2020. And this year is going to be better than 2020 
And I think the reason that this year is going to be better than 2020 is inflation. So land is an amazing inflation hedge. And people, I think, are seeing that there is just so much uncertainty in the world. Even if you have a job, now's the time to have a good side hustle yep. that is you know, relatively simple to operate. And I think that that's, that's why, I mean, again, I'm guessing, I really don't know, but that right. would be my guess. Right. So why do you think 2021 was, was down over 2020? Because people were going back to the office, people are just fatigued from 2020. What do you, what do you think was the reason? My guess would simply be that the people that were you know, going to make a change in their lives, they did it in 2020. Mm. Yeah. And that, it, that was just an anomaly and that you needed this external sort of event to happen for people to take this massive action. Right. And, and then they did it and then you absorb the impact of it over time. And then we see 2021, it, it's almost becoming like the new normal and we're getting used to masks. We're getting used to social mm -hmm. distancing. We're getting used to this sort of just weirder way of of being and you know working uh, remotely and, and doing all those things. Again, that's my guess. Right. Yeah, and uh, I I think that's that's probably straight up legit. I mean, because I mean I doubt that the course content changed. I doubt that your marketing you know outreach type changed much. And um, if you just saw a drop, there was probably some you know, extenuating circumstance that would have, that would have caused that to happen. But it's, it's funny because so many people that, and I, I don't want to lump you in with this kind of generic group of, you know, people that started a side gig, they did so well, then they said, I'm going to do a course to teach others how to do it. And then all of a sudden they're just, they, they're focusing on their course and they kind of lost the, you know, the, the, uh, the taste for doing the thing that, you know, started them. Uh, or there's a, this other group that, that, started something it had a little success they wrote a course or a book about their projected you know what they were they thought they were going to do and they never reached that but the course makes it look like they did and then they sell their course and they're successful that way but it sounds like to me that you you've always kind of viewed the course almost like a like a secondary focus i mean your your job is to buy land and flip it yeah you know? i mean we yeah i mean that's really my my job is to mm -hmm. be good at what I teach and and continuing I have a philosophy called Kaizen it's a Japanese term for continuous improvement so we have to be a step ahead of everyone else if we're going to teach it yep and ideally two steps ahead but yeah you're right I mean it's you know it is kind of a joke uh what you see out in the marketplace and you know, for me, like I won't take a course from anybody that doesn't have gray hair, right? Like you've got to, you've kind of been doing something at least ten plus <laughs> may years, look a different color, it's right? Gray. Like you, you know, you know, if, yeah. you, if you're twenty something, you got a Lambo. Like you haven't really been through uh, eighteen year old life coach. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Like, um, but you know, people do it, and and look, I think that. Even those terrible courses, if you get one thing out of it, it might be worth it. Yeah. And it might be worth yeah. just knowing like, hey, um, maybe you should go to somebody who has more experience next time. 
Yeah. Hey, exactly right. I mean, like coaches, I think of athletic coaches I had, you know, sometimes, and even, even like supervisors at jobs and, and leaders that sometimes I learned more from those that I didn't think were doing a good job than the ones that actually were doing a good job. So, you know, i learned what not to do, you know, type things. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and people always life. ask me because people go through our training program and then become coaches, like literally mm -hmm. like right after our training and they just copy it. Yeah. And they're like, well, uh, you know, they start getting some success. They're like, oh, I'll, I'll coach. And uh, I always make the, the joke, like, you know, Bill Belichick, has a bunch of assistant coaches. This is the if you guys know Bill Belichick is yep. head coach of the New England Patriots, and he's won six Super Bowls or seven Super Bowls or something crazy, like the like the winningest coach. Mm -hmm. But all his assistant coaches would end up getting head coaching jobs, and none of them ever had as good a record exactly. as him. Yeah, and so you know, there's this hydrox cookie kind of thing going out in in the world, but. You know, you always, you always, you always, you know, people can always kind of get a sense like who's the real deal mm -hmm. and who's not. Um, and if, or you just make a mistake, you're like, oh yeah, next time I'll, I'll eat the Oreo. Yeah. I won't, I won't have the Hydrox. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So what did, what do you, uh, you know, let's play Nostradamus here for a while. So what do you prognost prognosticate that uh, this, this land you know, this Sutter's Mill land grab is going to do for the next five years or so. I mean, when you look at, at, you know, raw land and, and uh, it kind of leads me to another question, but I want you to answer that one first. So what do you think, yeah. what does it look like projected out in the next five, 10 years? So Kevin, every morning I ask myself the same question. If everything's going to change and everything is going to change, what's not going to change? And I think what's not going to change, and you can, we can argue this, but this is what I really don't, I really don't think this is going to change ever. I think people will always want a good deal and they'll always want a real asset. Mm -hmm. And as long as those two things remain true, I think the land business is a really exciting place to be for the future. Is there a learning curve for buyers? Like I can see if you came to me and say, Hey, I'm going to, I want to sell your residential lot in a, you know, a lakeside lot that's 15 minutes outside of the community you live in, where we project that homes are going to be built out there. There's going to be business moving out there. That's where the 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 city is expanding toward that direction. That makes perfect sense to me. What doesn't make perfect sense to me necessarily is like you say, you know what? In northern Arizona, 300 miles from the Grand Canyon, uh, 50 miles to the nearest gas station, I have a piece of property that's dirt it's just flat dirt it's a it's you know a thousand by a thousand feet square you can buy that for twenty five hundred dollars and i'm like but why <laughs> why would i want to own it's like buying property on the moon why do i want to buy property on the moon so what is there a learning curve with with buyers like there there is what's the mean, value you gotta learn and I've learned this the hard way. I mean, I, I, I'm a terrible I, I salesperson you, for from Did I tell land. you the story? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. So I'm, this is very early on in my career. And me and my buddy are out looking at land. And I'm telling you, Kevin, have you ever heard of Las Vegas, New Mexico? Yep. Okay. It's like, there's a university up there, but we were looking at rural land out there. And to me, it looked like Chernobyl. I mean, <laughs> it was the ugliest land I'd ever seen. And it was rural and we could buy it over the counter. So this land was so bad 
that it went to auction for back taxes and no one bid on it. <laughs> so you could buy it over the counter for 50 bucks a lot. This is a half acre lot for 50 bucks. Wow. So you get there and say, I know why. It's yeah, exactly. And there's like a thousand of them. So my, or, I mean, there's a lot of them. I don't know how many of them there were. There are a lot. So my buddy's like, Hey, do you want to split it? You take half. I'll take half. And I'm like, dude, I, I can't buy any of this. Like, <laughs> No one's going to buy this, number one. But if they do and they go out and look at it, they're going to want a refund. They're going to sue you. <laughs> so he's like, look, it's 50 bucks. He's like, if I, if I double my money, they'd sell for 100 bucks each. What, what do I care? I'm like, yeah, whatever. You're going to get sued or you're going to have refunds. I'm out. So he starts selling them. He starts emailing me the sales. And he's making like 10x. And I... uh I just email back. I'm like, refund. He just sends me another sale. I said, a refund slash lawsuit. <laughs> this goes on. He sells out. And he made like, I want to say a hundred grand. 50 of that would have been mine. And so I learned from that day, it's a $50,000 mistake. There's a pig for every barn and I'm not the market. And I guess how many refunds he had? I'm guessing that goose egg. He had zero and no lawsuits. And to this day, I've had, you know, no lawsuits back on wood, but, uh, you know, very few refunds. And even in our policy, like we have a simple philosophy, like happy customers guaranteed. So if you go out there, you got 90 days additional due diligence because people often buy it sight unseen. I'm like, go out there. If you don't love it for any reason, I'll either exchange it for property you do love or refund you. Rarely happens. They have a 365 day exchange guarantee. They can't make it out there in the 90 days. And that rarely happens. So wow. my guess is there's people out there in the world that don't like people. And they want to be away from people. Uh, there's preppers. There's people that are prepared yeah. for the worst and hoping for the best. Uh, there's people like military people that know how to live, uh, you know, off the land. And then there's legacy investors like, well, this thing lasts forever. Uh, at that price, let's say $2,500, one day it might be worth $100,000. And it can just be a legacy investment, go generation, generation, generation. It's still a scarce resource. Mm. And the population continues to grow. So, I, you know, that's my best guess. So I, why, why do you think there's a legal risk? Because it seems like to me that the biggest risk would be misrepresentation. And like you said, it was, you sold it for something that it wasn't. But I would think if your description was accurate, what, what could they potentially sell, sue you for? Well, I guess, you know, during due diligence, you could get sued if there's an environmental issue. So before you buy any property, like we teach people, go to epa.gov, make sure you're not buying a super fun site, make sure you're not buying near an industrial area, make sure no one's dumping on your property. Um, you know, certainly if somebody gets hurt on your property, they could sue you. I mean, you could sue anybody for any, anything. Yeah. But so, you probably have insurance to cover that. So yeah, yes, yeah. So you have uh, an umbrella policy that, yeah. that covers you if you, if you own a home. Um, I mean, it just, it just rarely happens. I mean, this isn't, you know, in real estate, the joke is it's not a matter of if you're going to be sued, it's a matter of when, mm. but when you're talking about a $10,000 piece of land, yeah, no one's suing you for that or 500. 
five hundred. <laughs> I mean, it's just not. I mean, it's not. It's not real, real money. It's no. not worth it. How no do you do squatters? Yeah, you contact the the local attorney, and then the local attorney uh, draws up some paperwork, sends it to the sh- local sheriff. Sheriff then goes and escorts off the squatter. In every state except California. Well, then you got a new neighbor in California. <laughs> exactly. then, you know. yeah, that's right. You got yeah. a co-owner of the property. You got a co-owner of the property, you know, start sending them meals. You just start taking care of them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But exactly. that's just California. Oh, man, it is, it's been so good to catch up today and and uh, just to be able to laugh and, and enjoy 27 minutes of, of uh, just knowledge i mean just really education about around this whole space because it's it's very interesting to me and man i could i could ask you questions and we can talk about this for hours i mean it's because i do think it's a you know you, you talk about it being boring but uh yeah there's i mean a lot of boring things are pretty lucrative you know in in how they in like you know there's a lady on linkedin now named cody sanchez that talks about buying boring businesses and you know laundromats and car washes and things like that that people like I want to do something fun. I want to have own a coffee shop or, you know, I want to own a bespoke clothing brand or something like that. And they're like, yeah, but when you open that little box of quarters, it's full, you know, every, every week. So uh, there, there's something about fund in the funds in the fun, you know, that uh, of, of a boring business, but man, is there anything that we just haven't touched on that uh, you think would be really helpful to our audience, just really either in this space or just kind of in general, you know, uh, running a company, setting up an LLC type thing, you know, lessons you've just a couple of really quick lessons you've learned that you think would be helpful to the founders as we, as we wrap up today. I mean, I, th- I think that, you know, number one, if, if you're interested in learning how to do anything, um, do it right. So I've got a free course on how to double your money 30 days or less in land investing. So try it for free. And see if it resonates with you. And if it does, then you can go deeper into it. So if you go to landgeek.com forward slash quick deals, you can take a free course, thelandgeek.com forward slash quick deals. And then as far as, you know, a CEO mindset, uh, I think a CEO needs to be constantly thinking about who and not how. There's that great book by Ben Hardy and uh, Dan Sullivan, who, not how. And so it's not a matter of how do I do this? It's who do I know or who can I find that can do this? And that's really being the CEO. And so often people think, well, I don't know how to do it. Well, so what? I mean, we don't know how to do like 99% of the things in, in the life, yeah. right? I mean, I wouldn't know how to build an iPhone. I love my iPhone. I mean, it would, it, there's no way I could do it. So individually, we're getting dumber. Collectively, we're getting smarter. Use the collective <laughs> and uh, and take advantage of it. I, and I mean, there's never been a better time in history to be an entrepreneur. We have access to global talent. We have unbelievable technology at our fingertips. It's, it's never been safer in the world. Um, and stop reading the news. Be grateful. Amen, brother. What a what a way to stop reading the news. That's exactly yeah. right. Get off the socials and stop reading the news. 
That, yeah. that, what a way to wrap us up today. Well, Mark, man, it's, as always, it's a pleasure to, to chat with you and just thank you again for, for just taking time. And I hope that you are uh, on the mend and, and uh, feeling much better soon. I know that he's, he's dealing with some health issues right now, but he graciously jumped on the call anyway. So thanks for uh, just sharing your expertise and man, just livening up the place for 30 minutes and, and just once again, playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Mark, have a great weekend. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.